What's up, Bondus? I'm Thonushree. This is the Desi Condition. Today's episode, we're talking about code switching. I think one of the greatest defining aspects of what I've deemed as the Desi Condition is code switching, which is why I'm so interested in talking about that today. So code switching is a linguistics term defined as, this is from the dictionary, as the practice of alternating between two or more languages or varieties of language in conversation. However, the term code switching isn't just limited to linguistics. It applies to other cultural contexts as well. So an example might be switching the way we speak or act with people in the workplace or at a party. I think everybody has some kind of a customer service voice that they use or some other different setting that you might feel like you need to switch your tone or your inflections or the way that you use certain jargon for. So especially for South Asian Americans, code switching is just everywhere. I think it's where we get the term ABCD from, that acronym American Born Confused Desi, the term that we use to describe our constant need to code switch in order to fit in or even to survive. Sometimes it's seen as a negative way, as if a, a mask for those who don't wish to be publicly engaged with their home culture, cue the term coconut, right? Brown on the outside, white on the inside. But I think of it a little more generously as, as a way to quell the anxieties of those trying to fit in. You know, being a two Indian, um, let's say at school, speaking your dialect at school, even among peers is considered quote unquote fabi, right? So as you can see, code switching and how it affects your identity and probably your mental health also is very complex. So to help us think and talk some more about code switching, I have decided to bring on a very special guest today, one of the greatest code switchers I know, Ashan Singh. So Ashan has been telling stories for ABC News for over three years. So he was raised in Bombay slash Mumbai, whatever you want to call it, um, London and Boston. He brings a global perspective and uses that to his advantage, code switching between communities as a means of storytelling. There's like a deeper meaning behind all of this. Like it's, it's how you were raised, what you were taught, what you were conditioned to believe. This is the Desi Condition. Hi, Ashan. Please fill in the blanks of my very, very brief summary. And also, it's great to have you here. Hi. Yo, Tanu, thanks so much for having me. Really, really appreciate it. it, is, it it's really interesting that we're talking about code switching because I feel like it was one of those things that, you know, we didn't even growing up, you didn't even know that there was a mm -hmm. term for this thing that we were doing as soon as you left your household, like, it, you know, to start the day. And so the fact that there's even a term about it and it can be kind of a topic of conversation you know like um, more than 20 years later it, it's kind of it's bizarre and, and, it, and it's wild and it, it's super exciting to be able to kind of talk about you know the way we grew up as actually like a means that a way that so many other people grew up because i feel like when i first heard the term code switching um it, it was like oh is that what that's called because the, I, yeah. I that i was like oh because it's almost like a survival tactic right um, yeah that, I didn't know about code switching until I was like 25. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I feel like when I first heard that word, I, you know, I never looked at it. And I guess before we kind of get into the whole code switching of it, you, you need a little bit about me. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I was, I was born in Bombay, grew up in Boston by way of London, and spent a little bit of my early childhood out there. Um, but pretty much grew up in Boston my, my whole life, live, live in New York now, Brooklyn, New York, uh, get to tell stories for ABC News. Um, specifically for the show Nightline and kind of more so, you know, uh, around the network uh, as the summers kind of progress, which has been like a huge honor, huge blessing. Um, but I really do see this kind of idea and this concept, concept of code switching, you know, like uh, I totally understand sort of the negative connotation or, or that, that comes with it, but I don't really see it as a misnomer in, in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, now that I have a job <laughs> and I made it out of the house, um, uh, it's I can accredit a lot to, to the ability to code switch to where I am now. And, you know, so I'm sort of like it is it's one of those things where. I remember feeling a lot of guilt leaving mm -hmm. my house as a kid and, you know, switching, literally switching the way that I talk and, and that being. You know, even as a to, to have that guilt as a seven, eight, nine year old, it's a crazy, crazy feeling because, you know, that like. 
heart, somewhere in the back of your head, your mother would be like, why are you talking like that? You know, you know what, what? You just said something really interesting. Uh, feeling that guilt when you're seven or eight years old. So I was reading about this in my teacher training that kids don't really lie for the for the point of um, deception until around that age, around the age of like eight or nine. But code switching is often seen as, well, you're deceiving everybody, right? You're you're putting on a mask, you're um, putting on like a cover, right? You're being somebody else. But we don't really know about deception. Like We're not hardwired for that up until around the age of seven or eight. We don't have that type of logical thinking. So <laughs> to um, the, the lying that kids do, not that they don't lie before the age of eight, like of course they do, but sure. it doesn't come for the intent to deceive. It comes from the intent to please people around them. Of course. And I, you know, I, it's, it's funny that you say that I obviously never considered it, but you know, you, you think about to the, those, that early kind of guilt that you felt as a child, whether it be for something like code switching or just doing something stupid, right? Like mm -hmm. you remember just being like, Oh, I, I thought you were going to be happy with me. You know, like there was that inherent, like, mm -hmm. uh, Oh, I thought I did right. And then when you realize you've done something wrong, it's like, Oh no, like, what have I done? But you think about it even in the context of something like my name, right? Like my name, my mom and my dad, say they call me Ushin. My name is Ushin, right? And, 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 you know, I think growing up, moved to the United States when I was like four and a half, five years old, something like that. And I remember that being such a challenge for my teachers in, in preschool or in kindergarten and for whatever reason, and this is subconsciously because I, I remember I actually asked my mom and dad really recently, like, hey, when did I actually switch to people calling me Ushin? Like, when did that change happen? Was that a conscious change that was made? And they couldn't answer because they couldn't answer because it's not like they stopped calling me Ushin, right? It's not like they started calling me Ushin. It was just like something that they accepted in my childhood. Like, oh, my friends call me Ushin. My teacher refers to me as Ushin. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, it's very much something that I consciously decided at some point in my life, whether from age four to age five, six, something like that. Like, you know, this is what you're going to call me because I know you can't say Ushin and it's going to be weird if you try to say Ushin, at least to me back then, you know? So, so to even think about it, like I was, so we were subconsciously code switching just to like, you know, not even go through the hubbub of someone trying to jump through the hoops of saying your name, you know? Uh, and so to even think about it then is just like, wow, I was kind of code switching before I even realized it was a means of being accepted. You just wanted somebody to say your name right, right? Oh boy, yeah. The stories I have for my name, <laughs> Tanushri, is not easy. Um, it's not Tanushri. It's it's been Tanushri in school. So I, I have intentionally, as an adult, made the choice to start introducing myself as Tanushri, and I, it's something that I've demanded a little bit from my colleagues and I, on the podcast too. I've never said Tanushri here. I'm like, who is that even? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Yeah. How do people respond to that now? Uh, you know, I just tell them, I, I, I know that it's a different language, right? So I tell them that. And I, I tell the kids that too, like on the first day of school, I'm missing Gupta. Like, if you can't say that, that's okay. Just ask me again. Um, I know it's a different name, but you'll get it. Um, so sometimes people will ask me for a nickname and I'm like, no, I really prefer Thanushri. And I'm like, but it's okay. You know, I'll, I'll help you. Like you just have to practice a little bit and you know, eventually they get it. They always do anyone with a tongue can say any name of that. I'm of that mentality. I'm not making nicknames for anyone anymore. Right. Right. No, that's, uh, you know, that I think that that's, that's definitely the way to do it. And I wish, I wish that I, you know, had, had taken, and I think, you know, the time was different. I think when we were kids and like, mm -hmm. it was a lot, a lot less, forgiving at a certain point like i just you know like i wasn't even down with the semantics so it's just like all right fine oh no i couldn't have been thanushri at school i don't think i could have done that like i would have been fobby or you know labeled somehow somehow and i think that was such a paranoia that we had when we were growing up too is this mm -hmm. idea of being labeled as something other than just like a regular kid right like and, right. and so like it's a it becomes this 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 paranoia but i meet younger kids now i talk to a lot of a lot of young kids um you know, who would describe themselves as Gen Z or like the TikTok generation or whatever you want to call it. And like, they are so admirable in the way that they've taken ownership of their culture, their name, like the pride that they feel. It's incredible, man. Like, it's like a, the way you'll see younger kids of color own their names. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's really, it's so inspiring. And it's like, you know, now that I'm older and like not so much a kid anymore, it's like, damn, like I wish I had this confidence when I was yeah. 15, 16 years old because 
like at the end of the day, it matters so little. It matter that anxiety we felt as kids it was it was so meaningless, and it was so much more for this like uh, desire to just be accepted, you know, or seem cool or popular, or whatever it was back in in high school. And now it's like, damn, if it, like everybody could be saying Ashin, you know, like it, it, and, and right now I'm just trying to get people to say Ashin correctly, yeah. which is I, I mean, is proving is proving. Difficult, difficult in its own, in its own right. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think you just have to be a little patient with them, and they'll get it. They'll oh, get sure. it, though. Insist, sure. insist on it. Make them, make them do it. No, you're right. I think it's something that, like, you know, it, I used to not even argue with people. Like, I was like, you know, what, if that's what they're going to call me, that's fine. It doesn't really matter what's in the name. And now mm -hmm. it's like, okay, fine. Like, it's time to take ownership of this because there are young, younger people who are dealing with this as well, and they're dealing with it way more confidently than I than. I, I am. So I, I, gotta, I gotta take a page from their book. So Ashan, what I'm hoping that we can do on this episode is talk a little bit about your perspective on code switch, which with I, I think we've already kind of started to do mm -hmm. uh, your perspective on code switching. Yes. Um, and your process for storytelling and how the two work together, um, maybe mm -hmm. storytelling, and maybe I can include interviewing as part of that, how those two work together. Um, and then a bit about your background and how you got into newscasting, who you are, um, and how you maintain South Asian identity um, as a reporter. So maybe we start with that. Let's. Um, I want to. I'm interested in how you have used code switching as a South Asian um, American, or I don't know. Do you consider yourself a South Asian American? I know you've been definitely. To I, I consider myself an Indian American. Like it's. Uh, okay. It's. Yeah, it's something South Asian American you know, is these are groups, you know, the, the labels that, you know, they didn't especially the, like the South Asian of it, like it felt feels a lot newer in mm -hmm. the past couple of years. Like it's like, you know, that we weren't we're not like siloed off as nationalities anymore. And the fact that the South Asian community is kind of, you know, like holding court as one. I'm so kind of appreciative of because it always felt like, yo, like, I guess like you're Bengali or you're Pakistani, but we look the same. We mm -hmm. eat the same food. Yeah, no like, one else knows we're different. <laughs> no one else knows we're different. But also, like, I feel like there's so much of our lived experiences. Like, yes, there are so many cultural differences that I would love to be able to teach the mainstream um, about at some point. But I feel like when it comes to us, you know, as far as, you know, having a having a, uh, a conversation about representation and about where we lie in sort of the mainstream world, there's so much more strength in numbers. And I think it's such a big deal that, 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 you know, whether it may not be that way abroad, at least in the United States, there is some sort of unifying feeling uh, out there. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, so yeah, definitely proudly consider myself an Indian American, proudly consider myself a South Asian American. And as far as the code switching, goes like you know we were kind of talking about like the childhood aspect of it but i, I think it's also it, it very much becomes a means of survival really wherever you go you know i went mm -hmm. to um, college in the south it was a predominantly white private school in, in louisiana and like i had never you know like i didn't realize I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, like a, like right outside, right outside Boston and Newton. Um, and it wasn't the most diverse, but it was diverse. And I didn't think I realized how diverse it was until I got to a place like a private school down in in, in New Orleans, where I was like, oh, I'm very much the only brown kid. For a little <laughs> bit, you know what I'm saying? And so, like, I think it just code switching is such a means to survival. The same way as when you like go to a festival, you wear festival clothes. Where you wear when you go to a nice restaurant, you wear nice clothes. When you go to a uh, when you're going to a um, a government building, you'll probably wear a nicer shirt, nicer pants. It, it's like, you know, did you dress appropriately for work today? You know what I'm saying? And, and so I, I kind of see code switching as more, it, it's more of a means of survival in the sense that, look, like it, there are negative aspects to it. Like, yes, the, sometimes you just want to fly under the radar in the situation that you're in and code switching is your best means of doing that. If you can talk like everybody else, then you know you're not going to stand out, and th and that's when it can can be a a a way to fly under the radar. But it's it's also a way to you know you're not seen as yourself in a lot of ways, and, and that's and that's when it does become, I think, that sort of negative connotation that 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 people often talk about, like you you are hiding who you are, yeah. and that kind of code switching that I think any person of color has experienced, especially being a minority in, in a majority situation growing up, right? You kind of just want to look like, act like, talk like everybody else, just so almost so you're not made, not 
singled out and made fun of in a lot of ways, right? But mm-hmm. at the same time, I kind of used it uh, as a strength to, to in, in a way for people to see, look, I can level with you in, in a way that you probably couldn't see me as before. You know, like I often think that like when, when I'm wa- when I'm walking into a white person's office or something like that, like they don't see me as any different from a uh, 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 Uber driver or or the the kid working at the at the bodega, right? Mm-hmm. But but I think it's that ability to kind of put that hat on and, and, and you know change the way I'm sounding. That is, it's not a way of being accepted so much because I've never really cared about being accepted. That's not true. I think everybody growing up wants to be accepted one way or another. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't your motive necessarily. But that's not the. Mo- it's more like, hey, level with me because I'm at the okay. same level as you. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's like, a, and that's why I use. I see it as an asset in that way. Like you, and, and it really is, it, it all depends on the glasses that you put on when you're kind of walking into this room, how you choose to see it, right? Like, it's like, yes, I could be a show for this person and kind of talk the way they talk, act the way they talk, uh, act the way they act. But I think I have to change the way I speak with, with when I'm from when I'm with my friends, uh, like, you know, joking around in Brooklyn to when I'm in an office, to when I'm on set, to when you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to, because you need to be perceived in that, whatever that situation is that you want to be in. And look, some people are artists, they don't really, they don't care. Um, And I admire those people so much. So like, I'm going to be me wherever I go, that type of thing. But I think my role as a, as someone who interviews people is to make them feel comfortable. I don't want to feel like you're walking into my world at the end of the day. If it's about me, I'm happy to show you my world and I'm happy to show you the way I do things. But at the end of the day, when I'm coming and I'm sitting down, and I'm coming to talk to you, I'm coming in, I'm stepping into your world. I need to be respectful of that. And, and so I need to meet them at their level, at their view, at their viewpoint, at, at their point of view. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I, I don't know. how. Totally. That totally makes I totally vibe with this. I'm really glad that you're talking about leveling with the person. And I think that's where the difference is, is the fact that you interview people. Um, I'm a teacher, so I'm talking to like 100 kids a day. And for me, code switching is not so much about me changing myself to fit um, fit, I don't know, fit a certain crowd or something, but it's a way that I build trust in students and accommodate different types of learning styles, right? Everybody learns differently. Right. And so for me, I, I think that code switching becomes a positive when you're able to use it as a superpower to, um, be, be more, uh, I guess, welcoming or just like you said, level with people, right? Exactly. And I think it also comes more, you know, this idea of seeing code switching as sort of a negative aspect. I'd like to think that that doesn't exist so much anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am actually totally wrong. But like, it's like, (laughs) I I think it it can definitely still be a problem. I think it can definitely be a problem to have to always monitor your words and movements and try to mold yourself. I think that can be difficult. Yeah, I guess what I was saying is more like who 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 is calling it a problem? You know what I'm saying? And I I think it's more like, if you like, I think now if you were to talk to my parents, my grandparents, when I was younger, code switching is like, oh, you're not proud of who you are. But now it's like, oh, we've seen this actually develop into an asset for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like it, this has made you so much more functional <laughs> in, in this country than we could have possibly imagined. But you're right. As far as like code switching goes in the context, especially when you're young, man, I think I think it's really hard when you're young and you're not sure of who you are. So you feel the need you feel the the code that you're switching to is who you actually are supposed to be mm. when that's not the case right like it's a uh, it's it's not the case at all but like high school is ugly man like you know like that you feel all these you feel these horrible pressures to be somebody you're not and i think that's when it gets really dark for for kids you know like i you i was talking to one of my my sister's friends you know they they, yeah, sorry, I don't even want to go too deep into that, but it was like, uh, it, it was just talk, talking to, you know, some of my sister's friends who they still feel a lot of pressure to feel accepted by, by, mm-hmm. uh, by, uh, the predominantly white social circles and, and professional circles that surround them. So like, you know, they, they do change their name. They do. And they think it's funny. They think it's funny because at the end of the day, like, it's like, oh, they, they all think it's hilarious, but it's like, dude, you, you. I see it more as a representation factor. It's like, look, you get to be the one brown person in that group of white people. Like, you better let them know, you know. And, and so, mm-hmm. like, as opposed to compromising, as opposed to compromising who you are. But at the end of the day, I sit 
from a very I sit from a privileged point being here in Brooklyn, being here in New York, where it is so much more diverse. Like you kind of forget how hard it used it was when we were growing up. And I can't even imagine how hard it must be for some brown people who are in those kind of severely minority situations that still exist in many parts of this country, you know, so, so it is tough. And it's like as much as it, but but when it comes to. I think from a professional standpoint, for me, when I have to sit down with someone who doesn't look anything like me, has a completely different background from me, is often into completely different stuff than me, the one thing that I can meet them on is how I talk to you and how we, how collegial we can be, right? And so, like, it's it, it and it's like a my job as a journalist is, is to is to you know kind of put some people's feet to the fire and, and allow them to speak their truth and whatnot but i need you to be comfortable and we were just talking about this before but it's like it all comes out from that desire of, to make somebody feeling comfortable because they're not going to they're not going to be willing to talk about uncomfortable things if they're not already comfortable sitting down you know what i'm saying and so i think the way you approach somebody and how you make them feel like you know you're in their world. They're not in yours. That's a really big deal, especially when there's like massive camera. There's like a massive cameras around big lights. Like even if it is their home that we'll be sitting in or their backyard that they're doing in the interview, like that stuff is intimidating, especially for people who don't do um, these types of interviews very often. So it's so it's an opportunity, I think, for them to relax. And I think when you see someone's shoulders relax in the chair, they start leaning back a little bit. You know, like they, they, their, their eyebrows stop kind of furrowing. You know, they, 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 you notice it's working, and you notice that's when, like, oh, okay, we're, 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 we've reached a level where we can really start talking. Yeah. So you've interviewed some big names before, right? Like, I think I remember you. Uh, I remember, I think I remember something about Nicki Minaj. Um, Cardi, what? Cardi, similar. Oh, Club, it was Cardi B. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> It was a while ago that I saw that, but yes, yeah, no, neat. not a problem. Um, yeah, so we got to do some some cool interviews, some cool interviews uh, with some some super cool people. You know, I can't even are, imagine talk, sitting down and talking to someone like Cardi B. Like, how how did you do that? <laughs> so Cardi B, uh, man, I've actually like never like even really told this story kind of publicly, but that was really early on in like me doing on air stuff at all. And it was a booking that came through from a friend who worked at a at a at a PR company who, you know, they they always keep pitching you kind of stories like, hey, we got this story. Hey, we got this story. And I got a text like, hey, would you want to sit down with Cardi B? I was like, are you serious? Like, yeah. okay. like, I you know, didn't think anything of it at that time. I was like, whatever. Forwarded it to my boss. And this was spring 2019. Like everybody wanted to talk to Cardi. You know, like she she's the yeah. the hottest name in music. She's like Bodak Yellow. Basically, the person who was organizing this event is BeautyCon that was happening in New York at the Javits Center. Cardi B was one of the keynote speakers. Say, hey, do you want to talk to Cardi? Basically, texted my boss, forwarded to him, was like, hey, we got a Cardi booking. Can we make it happen? And he's like, dude, 100%. Like, let's flip it for this next Monday. I was like, okay, wow. I didn't even think that we were going to move on this, right? Like, it was, and, you know, like, I had done, you could count on one hand how many pieces I had done at that point. Like, I didn't think they were going to let me do it, of all people. So I was like, I thought for sure, like, hey, oh, congrats on the booking. Let's go give it to to somebody who's who, who's been doing this for a while, right? Um, so I didn't say anything for like I think that probably call a text had come on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and they were like, "Let's move, let's move, let's move," and the event was on a Saturday, and I didn't say anything to nobody for uh the rest of that week and then on thursday or friday my boss is sitting there like so are you gonna talk to cardi tomorrow like what the hell's going on i was like i was like yeah i was meaning to ask you about that man like are you do you are you sure about this he's like yeah by all means go do it and i think to this day that was one of the most intimidating uh uh interview scenarios i had ever 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 had and cardi's my age like cardi's not like um like you know like it's not but her presence is just unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? Oh my God. She just can't. I can't. <laughs> That's so cool. She walks in a room and just commands it. And it's like, it's unbelievable. It really is. And like, meanwhile, I'm like 20, 25 year old dumbass who's just like, oh, like, <laughs> like, what is going on right now? I really got no idea. But my friend, so I, so, you know, 
our, we had a little bit of a team there. Um, uh, so we had my a uh, couple producers, uh, a senior producer who is now uh, acting uh, executive producer, Nightline Iman Varoko at the time. Shout out to her being there. And Laura and Kinez, they were there. They had my back. But it was one of those things where, you know, you're doing interviews at BeautyCon. We basically fashioned it into this, you know, uh, financial literacy and how Cardi is basically sort of preaching to the, to the attendees of BeautyCon how important financial literacy is, especially if you're mm. your own small business. It's such a, It was such an important topic, actually. Um, but, uh, so Cardi, so first of all, like Cardi's team is late, like, as you expect, like, it's not like, you know, she's got such a big team and whatnot. So like, it's one of those things that gets get, get, getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And it happens sort of towards the end of the day. And it's in the back kind of green room sort of area of BeautyCon. And I guess, so we had our full crew kind of set up. There's three cameras, two like director's chairs where we're about to sit in and, and talk into. And I guess the event had kind of offered some some sort of experience to people who got to go. Like you got to sit if you won some some sort of thing, you got to go sit and watch this interview, which we had no idea about. Um, but basically, I'm sitting behind the chair. Cardi's arrived. She's taking her red carpet pictures, and like between her team, BeautyCon's team, my team, and then whoever the heck else got to sit there and watch, there was like a hundred people behind the camera. Um, just sitting there. And, and so it's me wow. and it's Cardi and man, without like cussing on camera, like, man, I was dying. I was really, really like, I had no idea what the heck was going on. Like, wow, you had these like 10 to 12 questions that you kind of gone over in your head, but you know that anything could happen. Certain point, the audio guy comes through, uh, Gil comes through and he, he hits the, uh, the like ready, take one, like Cardi B interview. And, and then from then on, it's like, no one is there. Right. It's just you and it's just Cardi and it's just a bunch of lights around your face. And mm -hmm. I had never done anything like this before. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, I'm about to black out. Uh, but it was one of those things where, you know, as soon as the audio guy goes, hey, take one. It's like basically everything else shuts out. Right. You kind of like it becomes your adrenaline. It becomes the questions you, you practice in your head. Your heart is beating louder than you can kind of hear anybody. And then across from you, you have one of the biggest names in music who is always, always, always ready to put on a show, right? It's not a low-key interview with Cardi B ever. So if you watch that interview, like there's like so many moments, like now that now that I'm telling this story, if you watch back this interview, you'll be like, oh man, this guy had no idea what was going on. <laughs> um, because the, we're asking these questions about financial literacy, you know, financial literacy and hip hop, like how those two kind of go hand in hand. Um, and, and, and then I think a couple of days before Cardi had a really kind of profound moment where people were, I can't remember what it was, but, uh, but, um, but I think someone had critiqued her and sort of the, the media critiqued her about, you know, oh, she's not being a good role model for our kids or whatever. Something that kind of hip hop artists get all the time, mm. which we all know is kind of rooted in prejudice and racism. Um, but it was the kind of thing where like and, and just days before Car Cardi had, had gone off and was basically on Twitter and basically, I don't need to be a role model for your kids. You know, I've already changed so much of who I am to be on the mainstream media. And so like at a certain point, like you guys need to be the role models for your kids. And like, we had to ask about that, right? You, you got to ask about that when, when you're sitting down with someone um, in such close proximity to having a moment like that. So we asked about that. And I just remember like, is every time like, you know, she, she was just so like on point with everything, but at the same time, I'm sitting there being like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to Cardi B. <laughs> And there's one moment I think where we're asking, yeah, we're asking about financial literacy and she takes out, we have the two bottles of water sitting next to us and she goes into this whole shtick. You, there's a clip of this on my Instagram. You can check it out. Um, where she starts basically saying like, buy my water, like buy my water. And she starts yelling at me to buy her water. And like in that moment, like it's good. Like I'm laughing. We're like joking around. But I am like so like, oh my God, man, if I don't buy Cardi B's water right now, like <laughs> it's like I'm, she's gonna beat my ass. So she's so I started like reaching for my wallet like an idiot. My wallet's not even in my pocket, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like I I and I remember that interview ending. Like I had a certain amount of time and like eventually we wrapped. Thank you so much for your time. And I think everything went well. 
remember getting up from that chair and walking to my homegirl, Laura, and basically being like, I have zero idea what happened in that 15 minutes. I don't remember a single thing I said. I don't remember a single thing she said. Like, it was like, I hope, did it go well? And Laura's like, it went great. It went great. Like, can it, uh, my other producer's like, yeah, you did fine. You did great. But that adrenaline, and that was so early on in my career. I think if I were to do that again at this point now, I'd feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more kind of ready. But it was, I had done so few of those at that point that it was just like, I had no idea what was going on. And I didn't even tell You did great. <laughs> you did amazing. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But it was, it, was, it was one of those things where he was like, oh, I'm in the big leagues now. And, and like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. You know what I'm saying? So It's very interesting that she was talking to you about, I've changed enough for you guys. Like you, you need to change for me at this point. Because it almost goes back to our little code switching thesis of this episode, right? <laughs> so I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I think, I, I think, I mean, this is now a little bit off topic, but I think it's kind of one of those things that I really have realized with this country and sort of celebrity culture sort of around this country that it's very easy for us to to yell at, you know, these people in the mainstream media and be like, oh, they're not being a role model anymore. It's just like, well, yo, what do they owe to your kid? Like, I don't. And I think maybe that's something that I've gotten sort of older to realize, like Lil Nas X was not supposed to stay Disney forever. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like. A, yeah. and, and so it, it's I think it's really fascinating when you talk to these people. I mean, these are just people who have grown up any any similar way in which any of us have, right? Like they, they, they're, they're finding themselves through their art, through their, what they're making. And, and, and some are lucky enough to have such big platforms, but like no one, and no one, I think in our age group is being like, oh, I need to be so-and-so for this little six or seven-year-old watching me because this little six or seven-year-old is watching TikTok, right? Like at the end of the day, like I think the rules have kind of changed in that way, especially mm -hmm. for mainstream celebrities. And I think Cardi was one of those people who, if she didn't exist in the way that she had it, you wouldn't be seeing this whole sort of new generation of talent that is so much more brazen and un unapologetic in the way that they are, right? And... and Cardi, I think, is so fascinating because, you know, she's real. You know, she came from the Bronx. Like, it's like she's seen it through, like, throughout growing up. And she, she's, been, she's been around the block in, in, in more ways than one in the sense that, like, she's, she's, she was very much ready to take, you know, mainstream sort of society or whatever you want to call it by the lapel and basically be like, dude, we don't need to be this for y'all anymore. Like I had to claw and tooth my way for y'all to recognize me, mm -hmm. you know, as an artist, as a creator, like, you, you know, you remember how many people wrote her off when Bodak Yellow was just coming out, right? Like, you know, oh, she's just this and yeah. she's just so-and-so. And so it's like, the fact that now she has to ascribe to who, whatever their expectation of whatever society's expectation, yeah. I think that's unfair in a lot of ways. And so, like, I really am for sort of that empowerment movement that, like, celebrities and athletes and, and, and are, are feeling in, in a lot of ways. Um, because I think it, 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 at the end of the day, it's going to be more indicative of like a bigger referendum of who we look up to as a society, right? Like, does it need to be? Like you can look up to these celebrities for certain aspects of their hustle or their game, but it's not like a it's not an all inclusive thing, right? Yeah. So okay. When you're writing a story, right? When you're or when you're deciding on your interview questions, whatever it is, you know, you're you're on the process of interviewing slash storytelling somebody else's um, narrative. What are some of the things that you need to consider? in terms of making sure that they feel comfortable enough and they trust you enough to open up to you? I think a big misconception here is that going in, that in order to make someone feel comfortable or to make someone feel like you're ready to talk to them is you need to have a really acute and, and, and overarching understanding of their world. And I think, that can be a turnoff a lot of the times when you do go and sit down for these interviews with people is like, oh, I know about this or I know about this. You, It becomes a, 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 an attempt to basically prove how much you know to the person you're talking to when that's not the point, right? That's, mm. not, that's not why we're sitting down to talk to this person. 
And so I'm really comfortable being the dumbest person in the room when it, when it comes to sitting down and interviewing somebody. It's like, hey, man, like I'm in your world. Like, show me it from 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 soup to nuts. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, I'm really and I think it's really being comfortable saying, I don't know, explain this to me. And it, you realize that's a big problem with, you know, adults and, and especially dudes. I've noticed like we, we love to act like we know everything and we have an answer for everything and have an opinion um, on everything. So and it, humility is the answer. So humility. I think, yeah, I think having some humility, but having humility, I, I guess, is, is is the word for it. But I think also when you go and you sit down and you you are talking to that person, it's really being able to push on those kind of pressure points where you're not showing how dumb you are, but you're showing how interested you are. It's being interested. Mm -hmm. Also, you have to be interested in whatever that person is talking about. Whether or not you are interested, you got to be right. Like, and it's like, and like you have to, and the way I look at it is like, dude, there is no other way I'm going to hear about this if I'm not talking to this person. So mm -hmm. if I don't learn about this right now with this person, I'm never going to learn it. And, and so I look at it as such an opportunity when I'm sitting down with someone like, oh, here's a chance to really soak somebody else's world in that I would never get otherwise. Right. And so I think then when it comes to actually building the questions that you'd ask, it's really finding those questions from genuine curiosity, not like, oh, what's your response to this up on uh, this this controversy that exists with your industry that I found out about on Reddit? Right. Like mm -hmm. you could ask people to opine on that, but like they're 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 not as interested as they are about seeing like your genuine wonder about what it is that they do. Oh, you do this crazy cool thing. Like, what is it like when you post when when you have to post? Do you have the same sort of uh, reaction about when when like a traditional influencer posts like or is it something that you have to wait for a lot more for comments and engagement or something else like or, for example, I was with like a, um, a freestyle a uh, soccer player and basically what they, they're really known for doing tricks with the ball. Right. And it's mm -hmm. really kind of poking in. You can sit all the day there and try to compare it to soccer, but at the end of the day, they call it a different sport, right. For, for a reason. And so if you just kind of like lean into this kid's world and really understand like the training and the confidence that you feel pursuing this sport that some few people know about, that's what they get so excited talking about. Right. Because th that's not what anybody's asking. It's so common especially these people with unique talents or who live in these sort of unique kind of spaces where the common reaction that they're used to is is somebody walking by and being like huh that's weird or huh that's wild that's crazy that you do this like and that's about it right and it's more like if you can really sort of dig into it and and, and try to understand how they see the world through their lens through what it is that they're doing man it is so interesting you never get bored of it you really really never get bored of it yeah i've never realized like how much you this sounds like insane now that i think about it it's like i never would have realized how much what i do in podcasting it relates to what you do as like a real life <laughs> reporter totally there's no difference oh totally like we're we're interviewing people like of course um just on different mediums I, I think what you're getting at is where your empathy comes from, which is kind of one of the questions that I wanted to ask you. And so, so I'm glad that you brought that up. I think like sometimes uh, creativity kind of shapes who you are as a person more than your personal experiences do. Mm -hmm. uh, and what you have been able to create, how do you feel like your stories um, or your heritage maybe has affected your South Asian identity or how has your South Asian identity affected the types of stories that you want to tell? It's kind of a two-parter question. Sure. And <laughs> choose whatever makes sense for you. I want to take the second part first. The mm -hmm. So I think like the question of how has my South Asian identity affected my stories is I've always been other, you know, like I've never not been other. And I've always kind of been comfortable being uncomfortable <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I think that's just from being one of the only brown kids in the classroom growing up, you know, looking different, having a different name, um, all those kinds of different things. And so I've always tried to tell stories of other because I think that and I think that's really always been my focus. And it's it, it's such a blessing to be at a show like Nightline that really does focus on that and, and is really not not just said, hey, this is cool, but They've also said, hey, we want more and more and more and more. So keep bringing it like the fact that I was able to go, you know, Suni Lee has had such an incredible run, had such an incredible run at the Olympics. And I was able to go to St. Paul 
and tell mm-hmm. the story of her Hmong community, where she where she comes from in St. Paul, which is such a specific Southeast a, Southeast Asian minority that few people know about, right? And so to be able to like explore that community that's existed in the United States for 40 years now, over 40 years, it, it was like, that was so personal to me. You know what I'm saying? And to be able to kind of pull back the curtain on these communities that make incredible people who they are, like that's such a, that's what I hope to do, I think with with, with my career and with my storytelling. And so like everything about who I am has very much translated into everything that I get to do on air and the stories that I tell because I felt like one way or another, I always see myself in the subject or in, 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 in the story that I'm getting to tell because I've always, I'm always able to relate one way or another, right? Like yeah, whether, and, it, and it's that idea of being other, that idea of being um, not accepted at one point but you know, like that, you know, you know, the rapper Currency, he's from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he always says, yo, I kept showing up at the club in sweatpants until they finally let me in. And that's something, <laughs> you know, like, and it's like that. I love talking to people who are just so dope, you know, like uncompromisingly themselves. A lot of the a lot of the reason was because I, I didn't have that confidence when I was young, you know, and, yeah. and like I wasn't that way. And like, I, I definitely feel so much more that way now. And I think that each person I get to talk to instills that confidence in me in, in a lot of ways because it's like yo you are so you i'm gonna be so me uh, as a result and, and like and that i find that so so empowering and i just think that that's like a yeah i, th- I just think like you know because being a south asian being an indian kid growing up in the u.s and you know being from what you know my family came from the uk my father experienced like quite a bit of racism like over there when i was really young and like before I could even remember. And I think my parents just approached this country with such a humility, like you said. And it's like, uh, always be interested, always like give a shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, and it's like, because you never know who's going to like open your eyes to something completely new. And like, I think we, being South Asian, we come from, and I don't want to say cons- cons- conservative is, might be the word, but like, you know, like our grandparents and our older relatives, like they had such blinders on in in certain ways that like, you know, this is what good is. This is what right is. This is, this is what being a a good Hindu or a good Muslim looks like. Good Sikh looks like. Um, and I think America really kind of kicks a lot of those notions in the nuts, right? Like just the nature of this country. And, And I think you can either spend your life trying to turn your back on it and really kind of embrace the values that, that, that you've been preached on and this, this arbitrary idea of being good and right and righteous, or you can just like be wide eyed and open and have an open heart, open mind, and like, just get excited by every kind of unique little person that you, a unique person that you get to get to chat with. And I feel like that's kind of how I've chosen to approach it. And in turn, going back to your first part of that question, it's made me, again, going back to that that idea of feeling so much more proud to be myself and who I am and own my identity. And like those, those, those things where, you know, like I would cover up the fact that I was, um, yeah, I would cover up sort of, I don't know, I don't even know if I would say cover up. I, I would hide the fact, hide my sort of my Indianness when I was really young, right? Because you kind of just wanted to be accepted, but at the end of the day, now it's like, dude, forget that. Like, I'm so so proud of that, and that is that not not just defines me very much. It doesn't define me, but it very much makes me who I am in a lot of ways. And it's like, like I, I get to be be myself unapologetically, and I owe that a lot to the people who I get to talk to from my stories, and very much so. And it's like now I get to do things like, man, I'm wearing a kara on air. You know, like I wear a kara on my right wrists every day whenever i get to tell a story it's sitting there and like, mm-hmm. no one's really asked me about it yet but i figure like you know like it, it, the time will come and one day my grandmother texted me she's like i noticed you wore your cut on good morning america i was like i was like yeah i wasn't gonna take it off like that'd be weird right like if i took it off that'd be so much weirder um but i just feel like a lot more prouder of who i am where i'm from and it's not to say that i wasn't before but it's like i feel so much more empowered to own it right and 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 yeah 
it feels like a lot of your the the empathy that you put into your storytelling or, or how you craft the work that you do mm-hmm. and the empathy that comes from it comes from this understanding that you are part of the world um, and every aspect of that world is part of you too. Like you you exist with it, not just in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm getting a little philosophical. No, here, I, but this is where my head kind of goes all the time. Yeah, you know? I think like now I understand why your website is ashan.world mm. and not like .com or .whatever, you know, like I, I appreciate that. I noticed that and it was the first thing I noticed when I first reached out to you is like, oh, it's .world and not like, you know, some other ending. But I, I, I get it now. Like, I get where right. that came from now. No, that's very cool. And it's I think that's kind of a mentality I was sort of raised with. It was just like, dude, like you're here, like you can like create all these kinds of issues and sort of problems for yourself, or you can just sort of roll with it and have fun with it. And like I think that's kind of how I choose to do things. And and I don't know, man. I, I like it's also like the ridiculousness that this is my job. And I think yeah. that never really has set in with me. I very much have imposter syndrome on a daily basis. Um but in doing so and that kind of keeping me on my toes, like every time I get to sit down with somebody, I'm like, wow, you just gave an hour of your life to me. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's like, uh, and so like, it's more just like, wow, I want to show this person the best time, like, or, like, or like really make sure that this, this time was worth it for this person. Because, like, I know every time somebody records an episode with me, I'm like, you wanted to be on this show right? with me. <laughs> That's wild. It means so much. It means so much that someone really is, is willing to sit down and spend their time with you. And like, you just have to like, really, I don't know, embrace it, hold on to it, know that they're appreciated. Like there's no ego when I'm sitting there and talking with somebody, you know, like I definitely have my ego with other things, but when it comes to sitting in that chair, there is none. And it's like, I, yeah, I'm, just I just want to sit and absorb everything about the person that I'm talking to. Exactly. Just like a sponge. A little bit off topic question yeah. for you, but what is American to you now? That's a big question. I yeah, know. you know, it's, you know I <laughs> actually kind of draw it back to a point. Okay. In college, where it's like I didn't feel American when, like, you know, World Cup or like olympics kind of roll around you kind of find yourself rooting for the other teams not because you weren't american but because you just didn't feel like you belonged in some sort of way you felt like you represented something else it's not like india was showing up at the world cup um so like you'd say i would always like pick a ghana or something like that you know like it was that kind of it goes back to that sense of sort of other i guess i don't know mm-hmm. but at a certain point there was very much an attitude switch and maybe it came to like moving to New York, like living out here on my own, like kind of finding my own way. But there was a very concrete realization where it's like, you know what? No, I am American. I am American. And like, I'm just as American as anybody else here. Like my story is uniquely American in a lot of ways. And I, and I had to, I don't know what it is that actually kind of changed that attitude. But it was this idea that I could, you know, like it it was. I'm kind of searching for it in my head right now, but it it was definitely something concrete kind of in my early 20s. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a concrete point mm-hmm. where I was like, you know, like, dude, if you live here, you're you're American one way or another. You know what I'm saying? And I feel that I feel that. I do feel that. And it's like, you don't have to consider, you don't have to consider yourself American to be American in a, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, because you're here. And it, and I think when you, it, uh, unless you kind of came here against your will, then that's obviously like not that, 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 that yeah. it's on. I mean, it's, it's a connectedness though, right? It is a, but if you came in here and you're, you're at least trying to buy in for what this country says or thinks it represents, um, you're an American, man. You're an American. And, and that was something like my, my Sikh grandfather, my turban wearing grandfather, my whole childhood owned it. He loved being American, you know, like he like would wear his American pin on his suit. Oh, um, that's so dear. I love that. Right. It was also, also such a response to the early two thousands and, and sort of racism that was going on against turban Sikhs sort of in this country, I see. you know, okay. post nine 11, but he was proud, man. He wanted he didn't want to just be seen as an American for comfort's sake. He wanted to be seen as American because he bought in, you know, like he bought in fully to what this country is or he thought this country is. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. He had to work to get here. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and, and, you know, so that was, uh, and that was really, you know, something I never really understood. And now that like, I'm a grown man who like, you know, like, is like, I pay taxes here. Like I, you know, like I care about what, who's getting elected. I care about, you know, like what's going on in my community. It's like, I don't know what the threshold is to being coming American, but it's just like, it'd be silly for me to say to myself, I'm not American anymore. And, and that was a per very personal realization in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, but did I answer the question? Was there more to it? I think you did answer that. <laughs> I think you did answer the question. But yeah. no, it's, a, it's a question that I, that I still grapple with myself pretty extensively. I don't know the right answer. Like, yeah. And I don't know if I get to be the gatekeeper of that answer either. I think somebody's American when they feel American, man, right? Like, it's like, a, it is so, it, yeah. it's more, I think, and it's not that I didn't feel American then either. It was more like I really started to take ownership of the fact that Look, I am American because I'm sure you get it. Like you are a, a, a like I was always too American for India, too Indian for yeah. America. You know, like that type of mentality that any kid of color I feel like who grows up in this country has experienced. Yeah, that's why they call it like a third culture, right? You, there, there's a third culture that has emerged that is about your connectedness between the two cultures. The American for us is the American culture and the South Asian side of things, right? Right. So that um, maybe that is the new American for some subset of people like people like us who who are living in this third culture. Right. Right. And yeah, I just like think, you know, like at a certain point, like. I see the people who don't look like me around me as a part of my community. And I think at that point, like it's like, OK, we're from the same country. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> Oh, and so like that's and I think, yeah, I don't think there's a right answer for that. I think it's just like a is more like, you know, like, OK, and it's and maybe it's my own vain desire to belong somewhere like it's, you know, some people feel very comfortable not, you know, like it's not vain to want to belong. No, but like, I don't know, you know, like it's a it's a I understand I, what you're saying. I, I guess, though. you know, like even growing up, I really wanted to be Indian. Or I thought I, you know, like it was like this idea and like I went back for a wedding early January 2020 and like go back to India and like you're described as American be like, shoot, like I wish I was. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was told that I walk like an American. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I mean, you know what it means to talk like an American when you go back there, right? Like you, you, you not talk, walk. Right, so walk. I don't know what that means. You probably, you probably got more <laughs> of a, you probably got more of a limp in your step. <laughs> maybe i got a swag a certain it's swag a let's swag, put it that way yeah, but i think i i used to get roasted for talking like an american so it's like wow you move your mouth so much like you like <laughs> you say your words like so you say them like whereas like you you see like how in like uh a, you see how like my family talks like they don't really move their mouth actually now that i notice it like when i'm talking <laughs> it's pretty interesting it, it's really funny but like yeah it's like those are the small things that i think um play on you when you're a kid and, and then like now it's like you know what i was just in my head about nothing it's all good and also like you know what i like if you were to tell me tomorrow i'm not american i probably wouldn't be too bothered by it it's <laughs> okay like it's uh i don't i don't hang on too much to the, the titles and the labels of it but like at the end of the day i just think like as kind of time is changing you know society's progressing you know we we things are getting a lot more browner and blacker in this country it's okay to take ownership of that change. And I, and I think, and I think, yeah. and I think our generation very much gets to one way or another. It's like, look, like I may have not felt this way when I was a kid, but you know, now I really do feel like I am like an American. Yeah. And I was pretty much the whole time. I just like felt this responsibility to my community who probably didn't even consider me Indian, but to feel, to say I was an Indian. Right. Meh. It's like, you know, I just, I'm over it with the othering. I, I know what I am and I don't need anybody else to tell me that I'm to this or that. Like maybe I am more American than other South Asians, whatever. That doesn't mean I'm not South Asian. <laughs> it right. doesn't mean I'm not Bengali. It's like I'm, I'm over the othering. I define if I feel like an American and I do. Like, of course, I feel like an, I work in America, right? I serve the American public. I'm a teacher. Um, I pay the American taxes. I, I'm an American. Like, exactly. exactly. Fuck anything. And fuck any narrative who tries to tell me I'm 100%, something else. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think like, you know, you, I, I, 
you get to like go back to your country every now and then. And it was like, bro, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's like, I'm here, man. Like, I'm, I was born, I'm like, I was born in Queens, babe. What you want from me? <laughs> like, uh, it's like, okay, fine. Like, it's like, you, you, it's not going to be much of a trip though. Like it's, uh, <laughs> i'm gonna go back to elmhurst queens yeah, <laughs> okay so it's, it's like and so i don't get too it's it's very personal is what i realized with it like i've never felt like yeah. you can call me whatever you want to call me at the other day i don't i'm not gonna be bothered by that for me it's how i feel and i feel american so i am american so i want to ask you about any long-term projects that you're working on right now before we wrap up sure yeah so i've kind of been blessed to kind of work in this space at Nightline, which is untraditional kind of in the news space in that, you know, it is kind of longer st- sort of storytelling. You know, you, you turn on your six o'clock news, 630 news, world news tonight. Most of the spots are generally one to two to three minutes, not really much more. And I've kind of been blessed to be able to work in the space where, where our storytelling does go into that six to 10 minute range where it does sort of become like a longer feature in, in a lot of ways. And so I feel like my sensibilities have always kind of geared towards that type of storytelling. Um, I mean, I, I love all the shows that ABC has to offer. They're all incredible, and some of the they are the best in the game. But I think where my bread and butter kind of kind of goes is very much in the long form game. So one of the things that I really want to do really does harken back to this idea of what it does mean to be an American, right? Um, and I really want to take a look, um, one way or another, at the minority communities that do exist in, in this country. With the goal of being able to kind of see different cities throughout the country through the lens of those minority communities in one way or another. You know what I'm saying? So I I think one of the things that I really want to do and I'm kind of been working on is is this project for the show is where or this series that we're kind of working on pitching right now or the idea would be that you'd be able to go to a, a city like Boston and see it through the lens of, of the Cape Verdean community that exists there. Love that. And, and, you know, so the idea is that you could go back to Boston five different times, a small city like that, and you could see it through the lens of five different communities that exist out there. And so that, that that's kind of the plan right now. It's still in, <clears throat> it's still in very, very early stages, very, very early stages. So it's like, don't want to um, delve too much deeper into that, but that's kind of where we're at. But the idea is to basically, the goal is to look and see these communities as one, not, you know, monoliths, you know, like for even like you asked me about what it is to be like a South Asian, even, you know, like versus an East Asian. But it is the the goal is to really break up those communities in a way that you understand the difference between a Pakistani and Indian and a Bengali. Right. Or mm-hmm. and, and you can see exactly in the world that, that where they came from and what brought them here, what brought them to the United States, because I guarantee you it's very different reasons. Um. Yeah. And, and and then but then also so you can understand what those communities are from an, a broad perspective, but then also understand that those are the communities that make up what today's America is. So the goal is to ultimately see those communities as American. So that's kind of like the end goal right there. Dude, but this is so cool. You're like redefining what America means to so many different people, so many different demographics. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. That's I can't dream. wait. To, I mean, I hope it like works out. Yeah, that, yeah, we, I'd love to tune into that. We really, really do hope it'll work out too. It's very, very early. A lot can go wrong. So I'm, you know, right. I'm not, I'm not, don't even like, like, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'll get, get nervous <laughs> even talking about it right now because it is so. Early. All right. I won't, no, I won't but, jinx it. <laughs> but, but as far as like, yeah, what I really do hope that it just, I think it's just like an exciting way to like take people on a journey too, you know? And I think that's like, that's what we want to do. And I think it can be done in our backyard and who knows, maybe it can be translated to something that, that goes abroad at some point. So we'll see. We'll see. Great. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, if this doesn't work out, I am sure you will find other ways to just keep telling stories, keep redefining what, you know, American means to you. Um, Keep just storytelling and code switching and all of the things that we've been talking about. No, for sure. For sure. And I really appreciate you having me on. This has been so, so dope. And like i could talk to you for a couple more hours so i know unfortunately i have to cut it off at about an hour already a little bit over but right before i wrap up oh my gosh last thing no sure (laughs) shoot i got time um is uh how do we find you how do we reach you 
Yes, please, please. The DMs are open. I'm at Ashen. At Ashen. I almost forgot how to say my own name. <laughs> so at Ashen on Instagram, Twitter, at Ashen, depending on how you say it, wherever you're from. Um, that's A-S-H-A-N. And that's that's it. So Instagram, Twitter, the DMs are open. Please hit me up. Any questions, comments? Um, yeah, I'm all, I'm always down to chat. Always down to chat. It's more it's more when I'm not on the road that that's when things that's when things get easier. But yeah, all, always down to talk shop. So please hit me up. All right. So I'm going to put that stuff in the bio of this or the, the details of this episode. I'll put it on Instagram, on the website, etc. Also, Ashen.world, right? Yes, Ashen.world. Yeah, some very cool clips of you talking to so many different types of people. Um, you're very fun to watch, by the way. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. I wish we could do this in person. I hope hope we'll get to do do something. I know. Soon. Um, I know. And really, really appreciate not you just not having me on, uh, Thanu, but like just the fact that you do this is so, so, so dope. And the community owes you one one way or another because we need to be oh having we, we need to be having these conversations and. I'm just grateful that you had me on and we're down to, down to hear me kind of talk spat for a while because that's not normally what I do. So so I, I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for saying that. Now that you've got me talking, I could keep talking forever. So I appreciate you very much. Thank, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. And oh, of course. Thanks again for having me. All right. So that is the end of this episode. You can reach out to Ashan through the links in the episode details. If you have thoughts or questions, you can always find us at the Desi Condition on Instagram and Facebook or TDC Podcast underscore on Twitter. Or you can email us at the Desi Condition at gmail.com. I'm Thanushri. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope you make good, safe choices. And I'll talk to you next time.